0: We're back in the New Testament today, right? This is uh, our third five-week series uh, in the New Testament. We've done the early life of Jesus, We've, or the early years of Jesus. We've done the teachings of Jesus, and now we kind of transition into the miracles of Jesus. And you'll notice, um, as we go through and divide up these sections, you'll notice that there's a lot of overlap, and that's just kind of how life is. You know, life doesn't fit in a nice, neat little buckets all the time. There's a lot of overlap with that, so if you see... Jesus doing some teaching, if you see Jesus doing um, different things, that's just kind of the way the New Testament's written, it's quite organic. Um, So, I was getting ready for this lesson this week, and I got to thinking, so maybe there's a bigger question that I need to answer before we get off into five weeks on the miracles of Jesus, and my question was, why did Jesus do miracles? Because it was prophesied that he would, okay, why else? I think there's several good answers here. The sign to the Jews of what? That he's the Messiah, right? John actually gives us this answer in the end of the book of John. uh, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. It says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And that you is us, right? That you is us. So, Jesus did miracles to help us believe in him so that we could have life. Right? So that we could have life. This, this, is, this is not just um, show and tell on a God-sized scale. Right? He, he didn't just do it just to do it. He did it to prove who he was so that we could go, yeah, that's, that's the Messiah. And he is different than anybody else. Because I guarantee you nobody ever prayed over the food like the story we're going to talk about today. Because right? you all said the blessing at your house before you eat, right? Because you're a good Baptist. You bow your head and, Jesus, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Check. We check the box, right? I got a feeling that's not what Jesus did when he did this miracle of the feeding the 5,000, but we'll look at that in just a second. Um, so, he did the miracles to prove that he is the Messiah. So, when you're, watching, when you're reading through the New Testament and you see these miracles, put it in context that you know, his goal was to check the box that I am the Messiah. So, flipping forward, let's go to Luke chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 9. And uh, this text today, verses 1 through 36, it kind of it, it's broken up pretty easily into three different parts. Um, one is Jesus sends out his disciples. One is he feeds these 5,000 men plus others, probably in the neighborhood of 20,000 people and then the third is is he has changed right and there are there are miracles in all three of these portions of this text the miracles when he sends out his disciples is that he gives them the power to work miracles so he distributes this miracle power feeds the 5000 he displays the miracle power and then in when he is transfigured uh, the bible doesn't use the word transfigured but it's he's changed um, he he shows this miracle power right he display, it, it's just it's all throughout his ministry. So let's look at uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Then he, is that a big he or a little e? Big he, yep. All right, so your assignment this week is, um, if you've never seen Steve Martin, he has a bluegrass band. How many of you know Steve Martin has a bluegrass band? Yes, the Steep Canyon Rangers, they are awesome, fantastic stuff. They play a song called Atheists Ain't Got No Song. It is awesome, awesome. And one of the things that in atheist songs, the he is always in lowercase, right? The he is always in lowercase. That's a good joke, guys. You've got to stay with me here, okay? You're just like, "Uh, okay, we'll do better. They'll get better, I promise. So he, big he, this is Jesus, called his 12 disciples. Now, a disciple is a what? A disciple is a what? A follower. So who are we following? Jesus. You're following your rabbi. Okay. So who wants to be Jesus this morning? Who wants to be Jesus? Preferably a guy. I mean I'm okay with like, because you know. Nobody wants to be Jesus. Who wants to be Jesus? Come on. Who's Jesus? Zeke? you be okay. Dave Barber, he's gonna be Jesus. So I'm a disciple of Jesus, so do your thing, Jesus. <laughs> Uh-uh, uh-uh, right? No, no, no. Everywhere he goes, thank you, David. Everywhere he goes, I go. And there was a phrase in the New Testament times, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be so close that when he kicks up dust, you get it on you. That's how close. So that's what these guys' job was. Their job was to do everything the rabbi did. You can go to Israel nowadays and watch disciples... Yeah, there you see, i will teed it up for you. You can go to Israel these days and watch rabbis be followed by their disciples. If the rabbi goes and uses the restroom, the disciples are going and using the restroom. Everything he does, they do. Because the goal is to be just like your rabbi. So they are the followers here. So he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power. This is this dynamite power. And authority over all demons, and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. And he said to them, "Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, a walking stick, nor a bag. This would be a wallet, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics apiece." Now, if I'm going on a trip, which I am this afternoon, there's a couple things that I'm going to take. What am I going to take on a trip? Underwear, thank you, because that is by far the most important thing. Julie, yeah, what? Well no, nah, you know what? I'm not going to go there, okay. Um, <coughs> we'll say they're duly important, okay? What else am I going to take? I'm taking my wallet, right? Because I'm driving to Huntsville today. Well, Julie may be driving to Huntsville today, I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Um, and, and something may happen on the way, and I need to be prepared. This is just being responsible. What else am I taking? My iPad, right? This is my staff. It shows me where I'm going, right? It helps me get there. This that's pretty good. I was going to call this car the staff, but all right. Um, what else am I taking? What's that? A bag of clothes, right? Yeah. <laughs> a couple days. So I'm, I'm taking a couple things to wear because that's what you do on a journey. And Jesus tells them very specifically, go with what you got. Now, why would he do that? Who are they relying on? They're relying on Jesus, right? Because he's going to provide whatever they need. And who's he going to use? Just people, right? Not like, yeah, I'll meet you when you get there. I'm just going to magically poof, appear, and disappear, and appear, and I'll take care of everyone when you get there. No, he's just going to use people that he's been preparing because he's working all things together for our good. Because that's what he does, right? So he's just helping them trust him. Verse 4, whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. So don't go hopping around. Verse 5, and whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And what's kind of lost in translation for us is that if a Jew went into a Gentile city, the last thing he would do before he left was to kick off the dust on his feet because he didn't want anything to do with a Gentile city. So Jesus is telling them, if they don't receive you, and by close association, my message Treat them as you would a Gentile. Just, we're not going to have any association with them. So verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 6. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel. Now somebody help me out with the blank here. To bring the good news. Eeyore, whatever. I'm so happy. Yeah, it's the good news, it changes everything. This radically changes everything everything i heard the gr- a great phrase this week i was reading a blog got the name of uh, uh jared wilson he's a pastor up in vermont he said he was giving his testimony and he said you know what my life got hijacked by the gospel i was like that's awesome got hijacked by the gospel because i was headed down this path and then it got hijacked and we're going a totally different direction now I was Like that's pretty cool i can you know can anybody relate to being hijacked by the gospel a little bit yeah nobody okay y'all just what perfect is okay. It's the good news, right? This is something they're excited about. This is a good thing. And healing everywhere. Now is this Jesus healing? No. But it's Jesus hands and feet healing, right? Cuz he gave them the power to go do this. Now, imagine this. All right, this is relatively early on in the disciples' time with Jesus, and he tells them, "Just go and start preaching and healing." Now, what do you think they're thinking? Yeah, that's what I'd be thinking, like, yeah, right, I've seen you do this, but I, I'm not you. I figured out a few things, and I am not you. So they go into the first night, and, you know, Bobby's got a toenail. He's got an ingrown toenail. And Bobby's like, man, I'm, I'm, my ingrown toenail's hurting, you know, this is bad. And Peter comes over, and he's like, what? No, he didn't hit him in the forehead. That's not in the scripture, right? He's like, uh, maybe in Jesus' name, be healed. And Bobby goes, I'm healed. (laughs) Bobby's wife goes, he's healed. He's quit complaining about it, right? Now, what do you think that does to the disciples' faith? (laughs) We got some cool stuff. Who's next, right? There is nothing that you can get addicted to like success, right? And sometimes you get to thinking, you know, I did this. This was me. This was me. This was me. And Jesus gives them opportunities a little bit later on in this passage to show that it's not about them, it's actually about him. So, take a slight detour. Verse 7, Now Herod the Tetrarch, local ruler, heard of all that was done by Jesus, and he was perplexed. Um, this, this Greek word perplexed, it means you come, uh, you're driving down the interstate, and you're not really sure which exit you're supposed to take, and, and you're getting really close to it, and you're like, I think it's that, it's that one, I think it's that one, I think it's that, ah, uh, eh. you know, and the kids in the backseat are going, what are you doing? Because right? you're not sure which way to go, you're a little bit lost. It's every day, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is for me, I don't know about you. So he's perplexed, because it was said by some that John the Baptist had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. They're trying to explain Jesus. And the only way they can explain Jesus is that somebody has come back from death. That's how different he was. That's neat, isn't it? That's how different he was. Nobody alive could be compared with what he was doing. Because there are enough people on the planet... For me to compare every one of you with somebody on the planet, right? And we all have that kind of, we we know enough people that, yeah, they're kind of like so-and-so. There was nobody on the planet they could compare to Jesus. I think that's amazing. And Herod said, John, I have beheaded, but who is this of whom that I hear such things? So he sought, this Greek verb is the imperative active, it's you keep on doing it. He sought in order to find him. And we'll see this comes up a little bit later in the story of Jesus. Verse 10. And the... Who? Apostles. Now, what were they called back in verse 1? And now they they are... And the difference is... The difference is what? Authority. The difference is they have been sent with authority. Now, the classic theological definition of apostle is somebody that was sent with authority and has seen the risen Christ, which is why... None of us are apostles, (laughs) okay? And if you saw the risen Christ, don't eat that again, right? Because it did not, it was not a good dream, okay? It did not happen. So, because they were sent with authority. And when they had returned, they told him all what they had done. I love sometimes these little unnecessary phrases in the Bible. It's like, like, Jesus, you'll never believe what happened. He's like, really? Because I already know. He already knew, but they told him because they were excited. And he probably listened because he's a great teacher. Then he took them aside and went privately into a deserted place belonging to the city of Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. What do you think goes in that blank? Popular. Yeah, Jesus was popular with the people. People liked him. People liked him for a lot of reasons. One, he was a great teacher. Two, he totally dissed the religious elite. And three, he was constantly healing people. Because if you were jacked up, odds are you might be getting fixed that day. And that's cool. Right? Those are theological terms, by the way, jacked up and fixed. Absolutely. Um, And he received them, which is beautiful, and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. Now, this is a different kind of healing than, uh, than his disciples had because where did his disciples get their power? Jesus. where Jesus get his power? From himself. That's right. He's God. He got it from himself. He didn't need to be plugged in to anything else. See, I can run my iPad for like two and a half, three days, and it'll be great. It will look, it will look on the outside completely self-sustaining, but eventually this battery will run out, and I have to plug it into something that is a source of power. Jesus himself was the source of power. He is the electrical outlet. And there's no outages, okay? The winds can come, the rain can fall, the power's gonna stay on. That was pretty good, wasn't it? I like that. There might be a sermon in there somewhere. Verse 12, when the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, You give them, this is an imperative, this is a command from Jesus Christ, their rabbi is telling them, you give them something to eat. (laughs) Has your boss ever given you a completely impossible task? There is no scenario in which you can pull this off. Have you ever experienced that? I have. It's like, "Uh, but I can't do that. This is why, and this is why, and this is why. And they're like, I need this done. Okay, so what do they do? Well, they start doing what I do. I start complaining, and they said we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. Now, you've always been taught that what is the most descriptive and detail-oriented of of the four gospels? Who like to describe things more than anybody else? Doctor Luke, right? Because he's a doctor, and doctors just can talk forever about stuff, right? I, I've always wondered when the you know, Holy Spirit's moving through him, but the Holy Spirit's going, "No, don't write that." No, no, this is what you... That's too much, just this. Man, you guys are just flat today. Come on, stay with me here, all right? So Luke is known for all this detail. And what does he leave out? The little boy. It's like the heartwarming part of the story, right? He comes up to Andrew and he's like, I've got some food for Jesus. You're like, oh, that's a cool kid. My kids are like that. I'd be like, way to go, you know, that's fantastic. We leave Andrew out of this story too, right? Because we don't know... Who brought him to Jesus? So there's details that, that each one of the four gospel writers leave out of this story, and that's okay, because we've got four of them. They'll fill in the gaps. Verse 14, For there were about 5,000 men, so probably about 20,000 people, and he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in row, groups or rows of 50. And so they did. They made them all sit down. What do you think the disciples are thinking? Okay, we've got them sit down. They now, the expectation has increased here, right, because everybody is seated and after everybody is seated, what is expected? Food. We haven't shown them the food yet. Right? And I'm, I've always kind of wondered if you were in the crowd, right, because to feed 20,000 people, do you not think it would be at least like a small mound of food? It would be buckets and buckets and buckets of food. And they're looking around going, where's the trailer truck with all the food? Because I don't see it. Right? It was nowhere near. So, what do they do? Then Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them. Now, there's a couple Greek things we want to understand here. The word for blessed is the imperative active, so he did it over and over and over and over and over. He was constantly praying throughout this entire time. Okay? So this was not a, you're thank you for the food, bless your bodies in Jesus' name, amen. No, 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 no. This was an extended time of prayer. Okay? And the word for broke is in the aorist tense, which means it happened once. So think about this, because I've always had the opinion and the view that Jesus just kept breaking, right? He broke and he broke and he broke and he just kind of multiplied. And the Greek just says he broke it once. But the prayer was what was different. So he, he breaks it and he's praying and he keeps praying and he's praying and his disciples start distributing and he's praying and they just keep having something to distribute and he's praying and he keeps having something to distribute and he prays and he prays and he prays and, he prays and 20,000 people are fully satisfied. And you're like, well, well, that did not make sense. Yeah, we're talking about Jesus here. <laughs> you put your logic over here and you go, isn't God amazing? I can't explain this. You know? Well, Jim, how does that? I don't know. He prayed. So you're running out of food at the house. You want Jesus to come and pray because <laughs> Jesus will make it work. All right. The uh, you guys remember um, you remember on the, the road to Emmaus, right? The two disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus and they get down there. And who shows up with them? Jesus shows up with them, he starts talking to them, and he explains everything in the Old Testament about him, which I'm, there's like a half a dozen places I would have loved to have been in the Bible, and one of those two guys would have been just fantastic. To have, to have this explanation of the entire Old Testament and how the Messiah fit and worked, and, it's just amazing. But they didn't know who he was until he did something. He, he, he broke bread and prayed with them at the end, didn't he? And when he prayed several times in the New Testament after Jesus is is resurrected, he comes back and nobody knows who he is until he prays, because there was something completely and totally different about the way he prayed. Because if you think about his relationship with the Father compared to our relationship with the Father, it ain't quite the same relationship. It's a little tighter, right? It's a little bit tighter. So there was something about his prayer that caused the natural way that things work on the earth to not work like that anymore. I don't know. That's the best I can do. It's the best I can do. So what happened? So Jesus gave thanks continually and broke the food once. That's wild, isn't it? He just kept praying and he broke it once. And it worked. And he gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude so they all ate and were satisfied. And 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. It's kind of like, you know, he's, he's playing rook. And he's like, boom, okay, I'll we'll just throw the rook card down here. I'm just going to take this last hand and show everybody that not only did, did you all get satisfied. And if you think about it, some of these people may never have been fully satisfied in their entire life from a food perspective. These are people that weren't out working that day. Okay. They, they may have been the unemployed. We don't know. And they were fully satisfied. Pretty cool stuff. So, verse 18. And when it happened, as he was alone praying, this is after this, that his disciples joined him, and he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah. And others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. So, these, these three theories were very prevalent, because Herod kind of had heard the same message that the disciples had heard. But Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, the best quick response that ever came out of Peter's mouth, because he had a lot of really stupid one-liners. If we had been the disciples, I can totally see myself being Peter. Like, I know the answer, here it is. You're the Christ of God. And Jesus is like, ding, 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 ding. You pass, go, you collect $200, right? This is the exact right answer, because this is who I am. Verse 21, and then we have this kind of almost a foul ball here if you're watching this game and he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one but we just figured it out right we've just lived it because we received your power and were able to do miracles we just saw you do something incredible we've just heard you validate that you are the Christ you are the Messiah and now we can't tell anybody and why couldn't they tell anybody Same reason I'm not letting you go right now. It's not time. (laughs) Right? Class is not dismissed right now because it is not time. It was not time for them to be told. And, And we look at it and we go, really? Yeah, because he still had to suffer. He still had to die. All these other things had to happen. This is part of the big picture. So Jesus says, verse 22, The Son of Man must suffer many things and must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. All this Old Testament prophecy stuff, all has to happen. Verse 23, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. The idea behind deny himself is to forget your own self. To forget what you thought was important. And, and maybe you've ever, you've had this happen before in your life where you were just, you were so passionate about something that you forgot your own self. Um, every once in a while, and this is like once a month maybe, I'll get so excited about something at work that I'll forget to eat lunch. Like, man, this is awesome. This is great. We are it through something. This is good. It's good. And you look up and it's 4 o'clock and you go, my stomach is killing me. Why do I have a headache and I feel mean and angry toward people? What is the deal? And you're like, oh, I forgot about myself. Right? And that, that happens every once in a while. Yeah, Amy remembers. She's like, those were not good days. <laughs> um, yeah, to forget about yourself and to take up his cross daily and to follow me. Because what do disciples do? What do disciples do? They follow. They don't lead. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is destroyed or lost? See, these disciples had just experienced this amazing miracle-working power, and he's telling them it's not about that. It's not about gaining everything that you want to gain. It's about losing everything. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly that there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now how does that make you feel? If you just heard those words. There's some here that will not taste death death until they see the kingdom of God. Man, it's awesome. I'd like a free pass on death, right? Well, it's all about how you define your terms, though. <laughs> because Peter, in I think it's Second Peter chapter 1, defines seeing the kingdom of God as, a, as what was about to happen, this transfiguration, this change in Jesus. And they didn't know that's what he was talking about. They didn't know half of what he was talking about until after it was done. They could see the whole picture. Because right? he was constantly looking at it from the big picture, and they're constantly staring at the, the bark on the tree going, I don't, this doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. So verse 28, Now it came to pass about eight days after these things. This is all still fresh in their mind. But he took Peter, John, and James. This is the inner circle. And he went up on the mountain to pray. And as he he prayed, the appearance, or the outside of his face, was... And what does your your Bible say? Mine says altered. Changed. Anybody else? Transformed. Anybody else? Different. That's a really good translation. You know, the, the actual Hebrew word... The Hebrew... Fight night last night, got five hours of sleep, sorry. The Greek word literally means other. It means other. It was, it was, it was not what it was. It's a, a little, it's kind of wide open there, isn't it? It's just, it's other, okay? And his robe became white. Now, how many of you have a New King James? How many of you know what kind of Bible you have. You see the word and, is it italicized? That means it's added for clarity. This is a really lousy place to add the word and because white glistening, it was just brilliant. The word glistening is the idea of lightning that is flashing, okay? So um, I was so going to set off a sparkler in here this morning, and then I thought, you know, there's going to be something go wrong with like the fire suppression system, and I will never get to do anything at church again if if I get the whole sanctuary wet, you know, I mean, that's just... Gary will blackball me or something. This will not go well. But think of a sparkler. Have you ever tried to look? Don't do this, and don't encourage your kids to do this, obviously. But if you ever tried to, like, or just glance at a sparkler? You're just going, can't, because it's just, it's flashing, and it's brilliant, and it's white, and it's just too much. His whole body is doing this. Now, if I'm Peter, James, and John, I'm uh, heading off that mountain because this is freaking me out because I don't know what's going on here this is, this is too much I, I mean I'm married to Julie I've known you for what 13 to 14 years if she starts sparkling I'm getting out of well I'm going to pick up the Twilight books and make sure that you know <laughs> with something not real in there okay but if she starts sparkling I'm getting out of Dodge right I'm calling 911 on the way out the door something's wrong y'all need to go check it out <laughs> okay so there's something other and he was glistening, so think sparkler. Verse 30, And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah. Now, Moses and Elijah represent parts of the Old Testament. Okay? Moses represents what part of the Old Testament? The law. And Elijah would represent the, the prophets. Right? So you've got the whole Old Testament that is here testifying about Jesus being the Messiah. Which is kind of cool. All kinds of symbolism. It's amazing who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. The Greek word is literally exodus, to, to depart. Verse 32, But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory. Who was the last guy that saw the glory of God? Moses. Yeah, he just saw where it was. And what happened to Moses? His face glowed for was 40 days, right? How do you explain that to your wife? You know, uh, Yeah, I'm not sure whether it's wrong. I think I used some new cleanser this morning and it didn't, it didn't go well. It's like, I don't know what you do with that. That's crazy. 40 days, his face glowed from seeing where God was, the shadow of where he was. Really? And they see the full glory. Now, you guys remember when we talked about the book of Job last year and the example that I used was that with the only way you understand the book of Job is that the curtain of heaven is pulled back and you get to see the perspective from heaven to, to put some framework around what's going on on earth. If you don't have the heavenly perspective you just think God is mean because none of this makes any sense. Well here, the curtain of flesh is pulled back and several of the commentators said that the real miracle here is not that that they could see the glory of God. The real miracle is that God could conceal his glory at all in flesh. You know, this, was just, this was almost the undoing of a miracle, just for a second, just to peel back and to go, this is what it is on the inside. You know, Intel's got those goofy little commercials, Intel on the inside. Well, whoop-dee-doo, they got nothing on this. I mean, this is glory, Shekinah, glory of God shining through. So in the space of eight days, the disciples have experienced miracles They've seen him create out of what's just almost nothing. And then Peter, James, and John get to see the Shekinah glory of God. So what do you think is going through their heads at this point? My rabbi ain't like your rabbi. (laughs) Mine's totally, completely different. And then Peter goes on and he says something stupid, right? He says, let's make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Elijah and one for Moses. Because it was about the time of the Feast of Tabernacles where you would build a little booth and you would have a little tabernacle and you would do your thing and that's it. And he's like, we're up here on the mountain, let's build three tabernacles, we'll knock out the Feast of Tabernacles up here and everything will be great. Verse 34, and while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. I'll give you a hint. When you see clouds show up in the Bible, God is here. I said it in my James Jones voice. God is here, Okay. And they were fearful as they entered the cloud. No kidding, Sherlock, you think? And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet. (laughs) Again, understatement of the year. And told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. Because How do you explain this? Hey, Mom, you want to know what I saw with Jesus today? I saw him glow. And I saw Moses and Elijah, and she's going to go, you've been eating them weird mushrooms again, haven't you? I told you about that. Don't do that. How do you explain this? This took time to process. Right, so what's the point here? Well, number one, the best way to expand God's kingdom is to give it away. Just give. This is what we do. Number two, whatever you want to call it, contemplation, meditation, reflection, consideration, deliberation is a good thing. They had to think about these things. Number three, God will provide. He provided provision on the journey. He provided food when they were resting. And he provided uh, protection in the afterlife. Because when they saw Moses and Elijah, that everything was still good, God's been taking care of them. That's awesome. It was a visible representation of what they have been, ta- been taught their entire lives. So what do I do with that? One, give away life. Right? Whether it be physical, something with bread. Whether it be the gospel or showing the glory of God in your own life. Uh, number two, spend time reflecting what God has done for you. And then number three, I think this is a good line for the long holiday weekend, enjoy the journey with God. Yeah. I guarantee you, these guys look back on these three years of their life and went, we had no idea what that ride was all about. <laughs> we had no idea what was going on there. That was amazing. So this is, this is scratching the surface of the miracles of Jesus. This was an eight-day period. All this in eight days. And they're with him three years. And one of the Gospels says if we'd written down everything that he did, all the books in all the world couldn't contain it. They're just a sampling, scratch and sniff miracles with Jesus. There you go. All right, so at your tables, you've got the handout. when everybody's name on that, even the little ones. They count, too. They're people, too. Yes. Uh, your prayer requests. Uh, pray as a table, and you are dismissed. And please, please, please don't stare at the sparklers. Thanks, guys.